Hi, this is Jim Martin, and this is my encouragement note, number 66. The list of five. First, when ordinary people like us are called to be brave. Life is often hard, and you and I know this. Yet the challenge for us typically lies in the specifics. When are you and I challenged to be brave? Here are some examples. Facing incredible pressures at work and yet wanting to navigate these pressures in a Christ-like manner. Starting the day each morning with chronic pain and attempting to go about the day without complaining, even though it's very hard. Loving your adult child even when his or her behavior breaks your heart. Dealing with aching loneliness and grief after your husband's death, even though most people around you don't seem to understand. Continuing to serve the congregation as a minister, even though you feel burned out and exhausted by it all. When I reflect on particular years of my life, there have been some times when I have been so discouraged, deeply discouraged. Sometimes this discouragement occurred in times of great disappointment with a particular person. At other times, it was a challenge in the congregation I happened to serve. During some of these times, I would be filled with self-doubt. On more than one occasion, I said aloud, what is the use? The following quote from British theologian and historian Sarah C. Williams has been very meaningful to me. And she writes these words after the tragic loss of her child. This is in her book, Perfectly Human, page 80. Courage is not the absence of fear and despair. It is the capacity to move forward, confidently trusting the maker of the heavens to cover us with the shadow of his mighty hand, even if the sky should fall. Bravery is not about flexing your muscles or speaking with great bravado. Rather, bravery is the capacity to keep on going, even when it might seem impossible. After all, our power is not in ourselves, but in Christ. Our sufficiency is in Him. And Paul says that he has even learned a real contentment in Him. As Paul reflects on his ministry and its challenges, he says that we are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. That's 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Now at times, he, he certainly experienced trouble. You can read much about this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12. Yet Paul continued to serve, trusting in God, who raised the Lord Jesus. He affirms what God has done in Christ and our future hope in Him that lasts forever. As a result, he can say, quote, that is why we never give up. Close quote. That's 2 Corinthians 4.16. You and I can move ahead by depending upon a bravery given to us by God. He enables us to move forward as we confidently trust in Him to supply us with the stamina we need. Are you overwhelmed by financial stress? Today, He will enable you to move forward. Are you discouraged by the behavior of one of your children? Today, he will enable you to move forward. Are you dealing with someone who is speaking badly 
of you damaging your relationships with others whom you deeply care about. Today, he will enable you to move forward. Are you tired and exhausted from serving the congregation with its many difficult issues? Today, he will enable you to move forward. Second, a, a simple tool that can make a huge difference. Sometimes you may not know what to do, yet if you're like many of us, you may continue to approach the problem in the same way again and again and getting the same futile results. I was frustrated with one of our children, so what did I do? I raised my voice and began to explain and explain and explain some more. The result? Nothing really changed. When a similar situation happened again, I did the same thing. Explain, explain, explain some more. And finally, Charlotte said, I don't think this is working very well. Of course, she was exactly right. On another occasion, I was scheduled to make a presentation in the elders meeting. I made my presentation and waited for their response. They were silent and just stared at me. So I continued explaining and explaining, assuming that they just needed more information. It may be helpful to process these various situations instead of simply repeating our approach each time. A reflective practice, either done by yourself or with another person, can be very helpful toward becoming more effective in these conversations. You and I might ask the following questions. What worked? On one occasion, I made a presentation to a group of elders that seemed to fall flat until I showed a short video of the proposal. It occurred to me later that what they needed was not more explanation, but the capacity to picture or envision what I was talking about. Next, what didn't work? On another occasion, I came into a meeting armed with far too much information. Their eyes seemed to glaze over, and in that case, what didn't work was more data and information. Seems to be a pattern here, doesn't there? And what might I do differently next time? I could ask a few questions of these people instead of overwhelming them with information and explanation. Or perhaps I could give them a few examples of how life might work better. Maybe I could communicate how this particular project actually connects with some important values these people already hold. Third, if you want significant growth, pay attention to your interior life. We played basketball that day and the game was intense. We were all in our 20s and occasionally played half-court games together. That day we were playing on a cement court. And at one point during the game, I remember landing on my feet and feeling a sharp pain in my left knee. The next day, I called my doctor and he sent me to an orthopedic surgeon. I came in for my appointment and they took numerous x-rays. Eventually, the doctor came in with the result of the x-rays and began to explain what he saw. I had torn a ligament that could only be repaired by surgery. As he looked at my knee, everything appeared normal, except for the swelling. And yet this swelling in the x-rays told my doctor there was something wrong within the knee. In some ways, this serves as a metaphor for my own life. My exterior world may look pretty normal. 
Yet further examination may reveal much about my interior world, my spiritual health. If my interior world were to be examined, what would be revealed? Number one, are there hidden behaviors that have cost you the respect of your spouse or your co-workers? Second, is there contempt for certain people that needs to be brought before the Lord? Third, would my heart reveal a rationalization for ungodly behavior because I've been hurt by another? And number four, is there a behavior of mine that I have rationalized because it is just the way I am? I was in conversation with a church leader. The person mentioned the name of a minister who had served churches for a number of years. He went on to mention some of the fine qualities of this minister. He then said, of course, he's got quite a temper. He went on to describe relationships that had been wrecked and an influence that had been diminished due to his temper. It really matters whether or not we deal with our interior world, our attitudes, our behaviors, and our rationalizations. A few next steps. Number one, before critiquing others, I need to first examine my own life. What is there in my interior life that needs attention? Second, are there regular themes that keep coming up and perhaps communicated to me by my spouse or friends? And third, what is one thing I could do to move forward in the area that really needs attention? And then ex consider these words. This is especially for ministers and other church leaders. I've listed uh, five important words or phrases for any minister or church leader. Number one, preaching. So many preachers will tell you that it is difficult to preach in this culture. At the same time, many people long for a sense of direction and purpose. This is such a challenge. Let us appreciate and encourage any preacher who takes this challenge seriously. This is not easy. Second, spiritual formation. Every book, podcast, video, social media, all serve to form us in some way. The question is, what am I becoming? Or what are we becoming? Are we intentional about what we are being shaped to be? Or are we just allowing the forces around us to shape us as they will? Third, emotional maturity. Ed Friedman and many others speak of this. Learn to function in a way that is not emotionally reactive to people in our congregations. One challenge I faced as a minister was avoiding being enmeshed with some people so that I lose my voice or cut myself off from those who were different from me. The challenge was in learning to <clears throat> stay connected, remain calm, and get very clear about what I believe and what is important to me. Fourth, family marriage. How well were you prepared for what you would deal with as a ministry family? Am I investing in my marriage? Is this a marriage that models joy? Or are we simply enduring one another while we rear our children and serve this church? 
And finally, loneliness and isolation. This seems like this is pretty common for ministers at one time or another. And I've talked with very few ministers who at one time or another have not faced loneliness and isolation. At such times, it can be tempting, very tempting, to look for emotional getaways. These can come in the form of an affair, pornography, drugs, alcohol, etc. These are never solutions. Rather, they typically lead a person into an even larger or deeper pit. I want to encourage you to watch the video that is on the written uh, portion of this encouragement note. I think you'll find it uh, uh, to be a real uh, blessing. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for reading this encouragement note, and I hope you have a great week.